Good morning. Thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. If you've been with us recently, you know we've been uh, working our way through the overview of the Bible. We've been talking about the the big story, the big picture, and we've been going through that each week. And the way we set that up, the way I set it up at the very beginning of the year is we would do that in three sections. Basically 12 weeks, 12 weeks, and 12 weeks, and then we've been doing some smaller series in between those. And so as we come to this week, last week you may or may not have known as we... Uh, got to where we were, and as we came to this point, we're actually, that was kind of the 12th week and where we're stopping in that series just for now. We will come back to the overview, the big picture, at the beginning of September, and that will run us right up until uh, close to Christmas time, and we'll finish that out. We'll be mostly in the Gospels and the New Testament as we, as we work our way through the rest of that. So we'll start that back at the beginning of September, but starting today and for the next five weeks, we're going to do a real short series in here, one that I think is real important and and good for us as a a body of believers and and just simply going to call it Membership Matters. And the way I'm looking at it, the way we're thinking about it is is a couple different ways. One, membership matters in that church membership matters, that it's important and that's actually what we're going to talk about today, why it's an important thing, why it's a good thing. And then next week you could kind of look at that title and think of it this way, the matters of membership, the things we do as the body of Christ together. And so next week, we're going to talk about baptism, and the week after that, we're going to talk about communion and then discipleship, and then uh, ultimately we end up the series with talking about leadership in the church. And so those important things that we do as a body together, and then we'll go back to that that other series and finish that up, uh, our overview. And so that's been kind of the uh, the plan all along, but make sure that you understand what we're doing, that we're not just jumping around, and that there, was, there was a plan to this, and uh um, so as we start today on this idea of membership matters and what we're talking about, uh, I want us to think about this in that uh, one of the things that I, I feel like I keep, keeps coming up, we just spent six weeks in Sunday school going through some of these things, and I felt like uh, we could flesh those out some more and, and go into this here in our sermon series. And, and part of the reason for that is a lot of times I think when we talk about church membership, we have a lot of misconceptions about what it means and why it's important and why we should do it. And uh, as, I, as I think about that and the things that I see uh, in the church in general and where I've been uh, in other churches and what I'll hear people say is, is I think there's a lot of misconceptions that are brought to bear because of our culture and where we live and the things that are surrounding us that are not really biblical. We're letting things outside of Scripture kind of drive the way we look at church when we should be looking at what Scripture says to drive at the way we look at church, And so that's kind of what we're looking at. The hard part is we talk about church membership as, as an overall big idea this morning. It's not one passage that we can really go to and say, well, this is the church membership passage. Here it is. The problem, and it's not really a problem, but the problem is you try to explain it and do a sermon on it, is that it's all throughout Scripture. It's so interwoven, especially when we get to the New Testament and all the letters of Paul and the way he writes and what he talks about, even the way Jesus talks, and we'll see that this morning. But it's all throughout, so it's really hard to go to one particular passage and say this is here because it's so throughout Scripture. Um, when we were in Sunday school a couple of weeks, we were watching a video series with Dr. Mark Dever, who is a, uh, a P, his uh, Ph.D. is in church, ecclesiology. That's what he does, and that's what he talks about. And he said he made the, uh, the analogy that it's a lot like the doctrine of the Trinity, that it's all throughout Scripture, and it's, you look at it and you pull it together from seeing it all these different places. The church and church membership and what we're talking about today is very much the same way. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go at this a little different than we normally do in that 
I'm going to do this first. We're going to talk about just some misconceptions, some common misconceptions about what we mean about church and church membership. And then secondly, what we're going to do is look at what the Bible says about it. So we're going to look at four different passages, and those are printed for you in your bulletin, the four passages. And if you're following along with the with the uh, Pew Bibles, it's even got the page numbers, so it's easy to flip back and forth. So we're going to look at those four passages, and then we'll end up just real briefly why this is vitally important, why it's so important to us as a church body, as a local church. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in, and we'll look at those, those three points together. So, dear Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this place you've given us to come together and gather in your name. We pray that as we do so, that we would seek to be completely and totally under the authority of your word and we'd be guided about what it says and, and not other things that we would, um, if we do have some misconceptions, that we would correct those by your word and your word alone and let those stand over and above us. Uh, we pray that you would be in this place and that your spirit would come and just uh, illumine our hearts and our minds that we could understand your word and we could apply it properly. And uh, we pray that you would just be glorified and honored by our time here today. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so let's start with the idea of misconceptions and, and how maybe our culture and the things around us color uh, the way we look at church and the way we look at church membership. Uh, probably no surprise to you for me to say this, but the culture we live in today, us living in America in the year 2012, we live in a very individualistic society, very individualistic society, and we live in a society that's very consumer-oriented, right? That is, we're, we're made and told to be that we're consumers above all else, and we need things, and, and the customer's always right, and you get what you... And so what happens is, in our, in our society that's very individualistic and it's very consumer-driven, a lot of times those come to bear on the way we look at the church, and it starts to distort what we look at and what church membership is supposed to mean and, and the way it's supposed to go and, and what it looks like. And so I think what happens is it goes something like we're saved individually. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if I become a Christian and I put my faith in Christ and what he's done, it's between me and God, and that's, that's kind of a private thing. That's the way we look at it. And again, remember, I'm on misconceptions here. It is true that we're saved and that we, we enter into a relationship with Christ. But then the way we see that sometimes is this private thing, and it's about me and God, and I'm good now, and I'm okay. And, and so what happens is a lot of times is the church becomes something that, yeah, that's a good thing, and it's an okay thing, and, and I'll go to church, and I'll be involved, but it's kind of to the side. I'm saved individually, and I know what's going with me and God, and I have my personal relationship, but that's kind of secondary over here. And so what happens, I think, as we start to see that is the church is something that's good and maybe I'll add it in if I've got time. If I can fit it into my schedule, I'll go this week. And, and we start to see church even as just something that happens on Sunday morning. I'll, I'll go and I'll jump in there and I'll, and I'll be encouraged and I'll get some of these things out of it and then I'll leave. And so what it begins to look like is we start to see church a lot of times as a club. A club, I mean, when we talk about what a club is, the definition is we're gathered together around a common theme or a common interest. That's what a club is, which it, to some degree that's true. I mean, we are gathered together around Christ and what he's done for us. And so we start to see it that way as kind of a club, something I fit in and I do if I have time. Or we look at it as a, a service provider. Because remember, our, our culture is so consumer-oriented. I come to church and what can you do for me? Even, even the language we use, right? this is Sunday morning service. 
our worship service. So I come and, and I'll get out of it what I can and what I want and I'll fit it in if I have time. And we'll start to look at that and, and we'll go and I'll, I'll get some needs met and, and maybe uh, something good will come out of it. But it's not really that important because my salvation is not dependent on it. Remember, it's a personal relationship with Jesus and I've come. And that's true. Your salvation is not dependent on whether or not you're at church on Sunday. That is true. But when we when we start to say those things, we start to kind of twist and distort the view that Scripture has for the local church and what we're to be together. We start to let these things come to bear and it starts to uh, kind of twist the way that God has clearly laid forth what it looks like in his word. And so we end up with things like, well, it's not that important if I go, I'll just do church at home or I can just do it here and I can do these things and I'm good. And and so we start to miss the way that the Bible talks about it. And the hard part is I think about it and we talk about it as a club or as a service or something I get out of it or I come and I get things out of it. Those things are true to a degree. Like I said, a club is around a common theme. So we are a club in some degrees that we're coming together around Christ, right? We're, we're, we're knit together, our unity, our, our club is Jesus. It's about Jesus and is the center. And so we kind of, you can see how we start to get that. Or we can say it is a service provider in that we come and hopefully as you hear God's word, you're encouraged and you have fellowship and we check on each other. And so we're getting things out of it. We are getting things out of it. And so when we say those things, those are true to a degree. But if we just stop there, if that's what church is, It's just those things. It's just my club. It's just my place that I get something out of it. It's woefully inadequate and it's not biblical. We've missed the big picture. We've missed what it's really about. And the the thing that it needs to be, the thing that we're leaving out of it that we have to make sure we see clearly is right at the center of our club and all these things and all that is Jesus. We have a king at the center of our club. And the king that's at the center of our club demands complete and total obedience. We're to be obedient to our king. We're to come together and be all about him. See, this as we do and as we come together and we worship and we do things, yes, we get encouraged and yes, we get things out of it. And all those things happen, but it is those have to flow out of Jesus being the center and what this is about. It has to be about him at the very heart of it. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory and about what he's doing and what he's told us and our obedience to that. And so we need to make sure we see that clearly, because if we don't and we focus on those other elements of it, it gets so out of whack so quickly and it becomes all about us and and what I want and my needs and all those things, which those things get met through Christ and in his church. But we need to be focused on him first and foremost for those things to happen. So I want us to look at that idea and think about what that means. And we're going to be talking and moving towards why joining a church and submitting to a church and being part of a church is vitally important. That it is an important step in the way that God set it up. And so we're going to go through a few different verses and we're going to actually start in 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's on page 6. 57 if you want to follow along with us and we're going to be in verses 9 through 12 to begin with and so I want you to be thinking and maybe you have this question maybe you don't some of you are members here and you've joined this church or you you're, you understand membership and you're with me on that maybe you don't but maybe uh, the question is in your mind why should I join a church and I hope that we'll answer that as we go through you'll see why that's an important step but also what the church is about and what we're trying to do here so let's begin 
with 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And it says this, and then remember, this is Peter writing to the early church. He's writing to the churches, local churches. This letter goes out, and it's to be read in the different churches. So this is what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." And so what we get here and what we're starting with and what I want us to see clearly is what, what Peter's saying we do is called out people of God, the church. What we're supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be doing is proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness. It's to be about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And that's the thing that unites us and that's the center thing. We're to be about our king, the one who's purchased us and brought us out. And I want you to notice the language that Peter uses when he starts to talk about this, because this is a very important idea as we move through Scripture. We look here, and if, if you've been with us in our overview, this will make perfect sense. Or if you know the Old Testament as you think about this, look at the language Peter uses. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He uses all this language that we would, assume, that we would uh, recognize as being applied to Israel. Right? God chose Israel as a people, and he says, this is the way I'm going to relate to the world in the Old Testament. Here's my people. He chooses Abraham, and he, he brings them, and he gives them all these promises, and he gives them his law and his temple, and how the world will know God is through Israel. Right? In the Old Testament, there, that's where God's spirit is, is, is resting, and that's where it goes out, and they're to be telling, and they're to be showing what it looks like. And so when we get here and we start to read this, and we start to see the way Peter says this, Suddenly he's applying all these things to the church. Suddenly now the way that people are seen, they see God, the representative of who God is, is now through the Holy Spirit indwelling believers through Christ. And so what we see is that, that we're the representatives. The church becomes the representatives of God on earth. God's using his people that he's redeemed to put forth uh, who he is, to show who he is. And that's what God shows us and tells us. I was reading a book uh, just last week, two weeks ago, when we were on vacation. That's what I do when we're on vacation. I read lots of books. And that was actually really nice to be able to sit on a beach and read lots of books instead of an office. So, but as, as I was reading uh, this book, the, the author was talking about how you could break it down that God chose Israel and Israel is his people to proclaim who he is. And then as Jesus shows up and even with John the Baptist pointing towards Jesus... Uh, in a sense, God fires Israel, and now Jesus is the exact imprint of who God is, right? Jesus comes, and Scripture tells us he is the exact imprint of God's very nature. So when we see Christ, we see God. When Jesus opens his mouth, we hear God's word clearly spoken because Christ is God in human form. And so now God's representative is Christ, and Christ comes into the world and he lives the perfect life, and he does all the things that we could never do, and he never wants sins, and he never does any of those things, and he lives this perfect life, and then he goes and he lays his life down for us, 
and he goes to the cross and he dies on our behalf and he takes our sins onto him and he gives us relationship with God. He restores us to God through what he does for us. It's the heart of the gospel. We go to that every single week. That's the most important thing that we, we need to always be pressing in on ourselves. And so Jesus does all this and he lays his life down, but then he raises from the dead. And he says, now go tell everybody what's happened and what I've done. And he tells the apostles and he tells the other church, wait here and I'm going to clothe you with my spirit. My very spirit is going to come and be inside of you and live through you. And you're going to be my body to the world. You're going to be my representatives now of who I am and what I'm doing. And you're going to go tell people I'm going to use you. Through my graciousness, I'm going to allow you in on my plan and I'm going to use you. And so what happens is the church, those that Christ has called and now his spirit dwells in through faith and what he's done for us becomes his representative to the world. That's what the church is now. We're those that Christ has redeemed and we are to go tell, make disciples of all nations, telling them everything he did and said and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our job. That's our main job as the church. And so what we see as we get this picture is that's what we're to be doing. We're now to be Christ representatives. We're to go proclaim. And notice what Peter talks about on how we do that. If you look at verses 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So you're to look differently. You're not to fall back into your old sin nature. You have a new spirit and a new heart and a new thing. And you're supposed to live that way. And then if you look at verse 12, he says, And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what he says is you're a new person and you don't go back to those old ways and you do good deeds and you do these things so that they see what I've done in your life and it points them to who God is. And so we do that together as a body of believers. You see that all throughout the New Testament. You see that through the fact that Peter's writing to the church. He's writing to the church. Uh, you see that in Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice is what Paul says. Present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Together, as body of believers, you're a sacrifice to God that reflects back who he is and what he's doing. And the reason I say that, and the reason you see that in the New Testament, is it's so important that we reflect back in our good deeds and all those things that happen. They happen collectively, us together. Loving each other, caring for each other, uh, encouraging one another, helping those in trouble, doing those things together. When we're knit together in a unity in Christ, it reflects back who God is more clearly. And that doesn't say, that doesn't mean that you don't go out and you witness one-on-one -on -one or you do things on, you do. You are called to do that and we all are called to do that. But we're also called collectively to come together and reflect back who God is as his people. And so the first part I want us to see is just what we're to be doing. We're to be pointing to who God is and what he's done for us and we're to be his representatives in the world. Let's move to 1 Corinthians 12 for the second part of this. So we're moving and hopefully this gets clearer and clearer why we want to be part of a local body. But 1 Corinthians 12 is actually on page 623 if you're following along in the, in the Pew Bible. But we're just going to look at a few verses here. In, in 12, it talks about the body of Christ and what that looks like and being a member of the body of Christ. And, and so he says this at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, actually verse 12. And remember the background here, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's correcting some things that they're not doing real well. 
And they've been struggling. And so he, he, he's pastorally correcting them and showing them. And so he says this in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one bodies. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So he's talking about the big idea, the big picture, that all believers, any believer anywhere in the world that comes to faith in Christ is now part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the church universal. Or sometimes we would say that the invisible church, invisible being that the church includes all believers of all time, those that have gone to be with the Lord, those that have not yet come to Christ, all time, all believers of the universal church. And so we start to get that picture a little bit here at the beginning in 1 Corinthians 12, what Paul's saying. But then he says, uh, for example, in verse 18 and 19, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose, and all were a single, mo- if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So he starts to paint this picture of how we need each other and how we go together and how together, collectively, we become the body of Christ and we reflect back. And he goes on to talk about how we have different gifts and different skills and we do different things better and God gives us gifts in different ways. And he makes the analogy of an ear and an eye and an arm and different things. And he says the arm can't say, I don't need the body, and the eye can't say, I don't need... We all need each other together. And so he's painting this picture of how we come together collectively and collectively we reflect back who Christ is and what he's doing because he's gifted us all differently and it works better when we're together helping one another and picking up different things and working together in unity in Christ. And so he gets down to verse 25 and he says that there be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, then all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. But you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so he starts to paint this picture of what it looks like when we live together as the body of Christ. That when you suffer, I suffer. And when I rejoice, you rejoice with me and vice versa. That, but, but what I want you to see is he gets towards the end of that thing and he starts to paint that picture. That has to take place. That has to uh, be birthed and, and fleshed out in a local body of believers. Yes, it is true, all believers of all time in Christ are part of the church of Christ, but we can't do those things and be in their lives with every believer on the planet at the same time. It doesn't work just, just by sheer uh, distance. It just doesn't work. So when he put, paints this picture that we're going to rejoice together and we're going to uh, be uh, struggling together and all these things, we have to be involved and linked up with some believers where we are for that to happen, to do that. And so you start to see kind of a differentiation between the church universal and the church local. There's some things that we have to do locally with other Christians right where we are and why it's important that we have a local church. And so we start to do that collectively and we proclaim together and we're God's representatives, we're representing who Christ is and by loving each other well and doing those things, we point back to who he is and the way he's loved us and we do that together. And so we start to get this picture of what we're to do, to be all about Christ And then we join together so that we love one another and care for each other so that we can be all about Christ together and point to people. But you still may have the question, well, why do I need to join a local church or why do I need to really be a member of a church? Why is that important? And I can see how that would still be as we've gotten to this point, a pretty valid question. 
Because you could love others and you could do some of these things without making a particular church your home or those types of things. But I think as we go further and we get clear that commitment and why that's important, why that promise, that's what we call it. We have a church covenant, which covenant just means a promise. And we say, I promise to do this. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to do these things. And you're going to do that for me. We need to do some of those things. We need to have that relationship so that we can do these few other things. And there's a couple other things I want us to look at that hopefully make it even more clear. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 18. And again, if you're following in the Bible that we've got here, it's page 534. Matthew chapter 18 is Jesus, and he's talking about how to deal with a sinning brother, someone who's in sin, whether they've sinned against you or or just in general, and you see that. And, and what we start to get is this picture of accountability and discipline that takes place between brothers in Christ. And so what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, and, and I would say to you that membership, being united, declaring who we are and the way we're coming together is vital for this to work well. And so look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 20. And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, you let him be to you as as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so I want you to see this picture here of of a sinning brother. And, And notice that just for this to happen and for it to happen well, and for this to take place, we have to be involved in one another's lives. To have a relationship where you can go to your brother and say, I see this sin in your life or you've sinned against me in this way. You have to have some relationship. If there's no relationship there, that doesn't work. And so you have to actually know each other and be involved in one another's lives. Uh, a lot of times, if you're not involved in one another's lives, some of those sins and those things maybe won't even cut. You won't know. Just you won't even know what's going on. So we need to be involved. But then as Jesus lays it out, you go to the person one on one, which is a wonderful lesson for all of us. What Jesus says, hear this, if you have a problem with someone, you go to that person. You don't go talk about the person with somebody else. You don't go over here and say, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? And I'm really up. You go talk to the person. You go to your brother in Christ and you say, I'm, I'm offended or I'm upset or I'm worried by this thing and we should have this conversation. And then Jesus says, if that doesn't work, you go get a couple others to go with you and you go and you confront the person together. And remember, remember when we start to talk about this, because a lot of times when we get into the thought of discipline and accountability, we go, oh, this sounds really bad and really hard and I don't want to do that. Nobody, let's be honest, nobody really wants to do that. Oh, I want to go confront somebody with, but remember what we're doing as a body of believers. We are to be Christ's representatives on earth, pointing to who he is and what he's done. And so it is vitally important that those of, as Christian brothers, if my Christian brother is doing something or I'm doing something that doesn't reflect who Christ is and what he does and what he wants for us, we need to hold each other accountable because that's our job. Our job as the church is to point back to who God is 
and what he's done. And so it is so important that we do this work and we go to one another and we hold each other accountable because we're the way that God shows who he is to the world. So it's a very high calling. It's a very important thing. And so what you see is if you go with two or three brothers and they still say, no, I'm I'm not good with that. I don't really care what you say. Then it says you take it to the church. You take it to the church and you tell the church as a whole and you say, this person is in rebellion against what Scripture clearly teaches. And then Jesus says, and then you treat them as the Gentile or the tax collector. Well, what does that mean? It means they're no longer a member. You don't treat them as a member of the body. You treat them as they are an unbeliever. And that seems really harsh, but I want you to think about what that means. Because if a person is claiming to be a Christian... I follow Christ and I'm a Christian, but they are living in sin and rebellion to who Jesus is and what he clearly tells us, then there's there's a problem there. They're they're rejecting what Christ has said. And so what they're doing, and this is uh, Dr. Dever said it in our Sunday school, and I like the way he said it very clearly. They are choosing their sin over Christ. And so we need to take steps. And so you treat them as they're no longer a member. Now, Now, understand Hopefully we'll see here why membership is so important. Because if you're not a member to begin with and you don't really have an affiliation, you haven't made that promise with a body of believers, there's nothing meaningful that can be done. To remove someone from membership or remove them and say, you're not following Christ so we can't count you as a member. If they're never a member and it doesn't really matter and nobody cares, what? there's no differentiation to be made. And so it's vitally important for us to be able to live out what Christ calls us to do as a church to have meaningful membership, to make known who's part of our body of believers. And we need to do that. Uh, And if they're unrepentant, you need to make these steps. And remember, it's always to restore. It's always to bring them back. It's always to point a picture of who Christ is and what he's done. And that's why we're doing that. That's why we would ever do that. My hope and my prayer is that we'll never get to the point, we haven't had to do that since I've been here, where we bring somebody before the church and say they're unrepentant in this way, and so we're removing them. Hopefully those things are taking place in the, in the one-on-one, and then the two going, or three going together, and they're repenting, and we never get to that stage. But Christ puts us, gives us this charge of how we're to do that. You see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he tells them this exact picture. There's a guy who is sleeping with his mother-in-law. And Paul says, you can't do that. You can't do that as a believer. So you as a church need to go and tell him he can't be a member, he can't be part of the body if he's going to blatantly trample on what God's Word clearly says. And he tells them to remove him so that he will repent, so he will see the seriousness of his sin. And that is so important that we understand. It sometimes seems harsh and we get caught up and we go, oh, that seems really whatever. I can't believe you would say that or we would do that or we would put somebody out of membership. But remember what's at stake. We're representing Christ to a broken world. What Peter said, that that our work should point to who we are and what we're doing and we're not giving in to the flesh and we're a new creature and we're doing things differently. And so we're to be salt and light and all those analogies that are used throughout Scripture to point to the way we are to live and the way God's called us. And so it's so important that we see that here and that we need membership and that promise together to be able to do that well and that we take seriously our job as the church. 
uh, as we're in this passage, we're going to move to one more text. But before we do, there's just a couple things I want to point out. When we talked about last week about clearly giving the sense of a passage and explaining it. I can't move on without hitting on verses 18 to 20 because these are some of the most abused uh, verses probably in Scripture. And so we don't want to just leave it there. But verses 18 and 19, it says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you on earth agree about, agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And so I've heard people say that, well, two of us got together and we agreed, so God's going to do it. We're claiming it, the two of us together. So, and that's just carte blanche. That happens no matter what. I've heard people say that. And, Wait a second. That's, that's not exactly with this passion, because if that's the case, then, then me and my dad can get together and decide that Texas A&M is winning the national championship next year. And we're going to believe that and we're going to claim it and then it'll be done because we claimed it on earth, right? Which that is not what this is saying. And if we were to say that, you could just watch A&M play and know that that's not <laughs> happening. That's not going to be the case. But, but even, if, even, even if you don't know that, but just from this text, when you look at the text and when we see this, what he's really saying is he's, it is under the context. What Jesus is talking about is church discipline. And he's talking about when two of you get together and you go to rebuke a brother that is in sin, that's in rebellion, that's not doing what I've called them to be. I am there with you. Heaven is with you. I am. God is going to honor that when you go to them in the spirit. And remember, that always comes under the umbrella of what Scripture says. God's word, it has to be in accord with God's word. For example, in uh, Psalms, it says that God will give you the desires of your heart. That's the desires of your heart that are aligning with his Scripture that he sovereignly placed in your heart. And it's not just anything that you ever desire. He'll give you the desires of your heart. You have to have the context of what Scripture tells us. And so when we look at that passage, it's in the context of rebuking a brother in love and bringing them back. And, and to me, it's a wonderful uh, confirmation of what Christ is saying because that is a really, really hard thing to do. And as I said, nobody really wants to do that. But what he says is when you do that, when someone's in sin and they're rebelling against me, I'm with you. And that's, that's actually the same thing that verse 20 is talking about. We, we miss this one a lot. We, we twist and distort this one a whole lot. And... Uh, I was very convicted years ago. I heard this in seminary and went, ah, I've said that a bunch of times. And so I don't want to step on your toes, but you may have said this before. But if you look at verse 20, for whether two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That doesn't mean that when two or three or five or ten or a hundred or however many get together, now Jesus shows up. Right? We always say that in the terms of a prayer meeting or in a church service. Okay, now there's two or three or now there's a few more. Now Jesus shows up. So Jesus is... You become a Christian and he dwells with you and he's, he's with you. If there's three of us praying and then we go our separate ways, he's still with you. You didn't have to get three together for Jesus to show up. And so oftentimes we say it like that's the case, like we needed to, three of us so now he'll be here. What he's talking about, same thing in the, in the discipline of the church. He's saying when two or three of you are going to a brother and you're lovingly correcting him and you're asking him and you're trying to show him that he says, I'm with you. You have my, my love and my, my uh, blessing and I'm with you in that hard thing that you're going to do. I'm with you on that because you're doing it to bring him back, to bring an erring brother back. And so it's important that we see that distinction. And that goes back to what we talked about last week, being very careful about the context 
and how we read passages and really thinking about what they say and what they're... Now, it does mean when we gather together, Christ is with us. When we gather to worship and He is here with us, but it's not He leaves us because we then split up. So let's just make sure we, we understand that. Okay, so, so what we have is we need uh, each other. We need formal membership. We need some sort of, of, of declaring that we're together so that we can hold each other accountable and so that we can do discipline. And if need be, to remove someone from that body in terms of that membership because they're rebelling against us. We need a clear way to do that. And let me show you one more, one more passage. So we've got discipline and accountability that really needs a local body for that. But also let's look at Titus chapter 1 together. And it's, it's uh, page 646. And what we're looking at is, is Paul writing a letter to Titus and talking to him about eldership and leadership, what it looks like in the church, how I've set up the church and how it's supposed to work. And he's talking about leadership and submitting to authority and and what that elder should look like and what they should do. And we're just going to look at one verse in Titus 1 and verse 9 is what he says. And what he's talking about is he's giving all the uh, what an elder should look like in their life and how they live and how they go about. But then he gets to what their job is. Why God sets up for leadership in the church. And he says this in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Right? The, the main job of an elder in the church is to teach God's word and to give it clearly and to rebuke or, or correct things that are wrong correct wrong doctrines or, or bad doctrines. Um, in in uh, Hebrews 13, he talks about the importance of your leaders and that they're, uh, he says in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, they're telling you the word of God, they're giving you what it says and showing you the sense and all those things that go with it. And he says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be to no advantage of you. And so what the picture I'm trying to paint, that God sets up a way for his church to function, and that includes leaders known as elders. And elders' main jobs are to know God's word and be able to teach it clearly and to correct those things that are wrong, correct those doctrines that are not right, correct false teachings that come up. And remember, doing so, we're doing that so that we can can help keep each other to what God's Word says, holding to what His Word says, because we are to be His ambassadors to the world, and we're to show what it's like. So that is so important that we clearly are seeing what His Word says, and we're clearly doing what it says, because that's of, of vital importance to us as believers, and so when we think about submitting to leadership and having elders that care and love you and help you, is what has to happen is church memberships, church members, body of, of, of Christ that come into this local church must make themselves known in order for that to happen. Right? To submit to leadership and to have them help you and walk alongside of you, you have to say, yeah, I'm with you. I want you to do that. I want to be part of this body so that you do that. See, God sets this up as local churches all over. Paul writes letters to different elders in different churches, and he's telling them about that because it's not, I'm not an elder and a pastor for the people who live 30 miles that way that aren't in this church. 
Right? God sets it up in this local body to do that, but I'm not an elder or a pastor over somebody who has it brought into this congregation to be under and with us. God sets them up with different uh, elders and different leaders. And so it's important that we see that, that we need to make a commitment and say, I want the help and I want you to come. A perfect example is a young believer. And it's not just young believers. We all need this. But I'm just, as an example, if, if you've got a young guy who becomes a believer, he hears the gospel for the first time, and God gets his heart and he opens his eyes and he sees it and he says, yes, I get this. And at the same time, he's living with his girlfriend and he's sleeping with her and he goes out and he gets drunk every weekend and he has all these things in his life. And he says, okay, so what do I do next? And he says, well, you join a church and you come in and then we go, well, wait a second. You can't live with a girl you're not married to and you can't get drunk every weekend. And, you can't, and we start to tell him, you're now part of the body of Christ that represents Christ to the world and this is what it looks like. And so you start to loving, that's what discipleship is, lovingly teaching and correcting and coming alongside and helping one another. And so that has to happen. But he has to make that commitment to us together so that we can do that. We can have that relationship and those things can happen. And that's so important to us and to each other. We need to make that commitment so that we can follow Christ the best we possibly can. And so that we hold each other. And by the way, that works both ways. Right? That's why God says and sets it up that there should be a plurality of elders. It's not just one elder, it's a bunch of elders. So we hold each other accountable and we're doing that together. That's why we have it set up in the church where the church confirms elders as we do that. For example, if I get up next week and decide I'm going to start preaching that it's faith plus works, it's not just Jesus, it's some other stuff, there's accountability in this church that would quickly stop me from doing that. And thankfully that's the case. And that's why we say we want you always, if there's something that I'm saying from Scripture that you don't think is there, we want to sit down and look at it together and make sure we have this mutual accountability together to follow Christ in the best possible way we can, in the best light we can. And so we make those commitments together so that that happens and we see it more clearly. And so hopefully as we get to this, you start to see how important it is to make yourself known and to join a church and to be a part of a church and to say, yes, I'm with you, and we want to do those things together, and I want to submit, and I want to have this, and we want to proclaim Christ in the way that we join together. And so as we get to that, uh, hopefully you're starting to see why it's really important, because I'm to the end here on why this is vitally important. And hopefully, as we've looked through these passages, you're starting to see why it's really important, and it's starting to become clear to you. But let me just give you, on top of all this, and the way we see all this is, as we end here, why it's so important. And it's so important because as Christ calls us out and we become believers and he makes us new and he does these things and what he's done for us and then he gives us this charge to go and tell people. To go and let people know and model who I am and what I've done for you and the way you love each other. And when we talk about a church and submitting and doing all these things we're talking about, that's the way Jesus says it works best. That's the way Scripture tells us it's supposed to work. And so if we believe Jesus is our Savior and He's the Lord over all and He's done all these wonderful things for us, shouldn't we trust Him in the way that He says, you, know, you now go about telling people who I am? That is so important. Because what that is is our job now, the most important things in our lives, to make known who Christ is, and to announce Him and tell Him to others. And God says, oh, by the way, I have a plan for it, and it works best if you do it this way. 
this most important job that you'll ever have, do it like this. And so as we consider being part of a church, it's not some legalistic, oh, you need to do this and we're making you jump through hoops. No, we want to do this because Christ says it works best this way. This is the way I designed you to come together and proclaim my name. This is how I designed you to now be my representatives to the world and glorify me and who I am and what I'm doing. And so we think about it and it started there with it's not just a club and it's not just something we get together or something we do. It's a group of people that are coming together around our king under total obedience because we want to make him known to all people. And this is the way he says to do it. And so as we think about this and as we go through the next few weeks of what we do when we get together as a body of Christ, let us grow closer and closer to the body that Christ has called us to be, to align with what his word says in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and that you are kind and that you are loving and that you came to us to do what we could never do on our behalf. We thank you that you've given us direction on how we go forth and what that looks like and how we love each other and how we hold each other accountable and the way we band together to proclaim your name. And we ask that we would just do that the way that you've laid forth and we do it the best to our to the best of our ability, that you would come and empower us, that we can't do this without you. So we ask that your Holy Spirit move in us and help us to love one another the way you've called us to love one another and to proclaim your name and to do all these things as well as we possibly can, even when they're hard. We thank you that you give us promises that you'll be there with us and that you will work with us and through us when we follow you. And so we ask that we would just do that and that your name would be made great in this place where we are and that you would just graciously use us in that plan. We thank you for all you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.